The psalm that we had read to us suggests that God knows us. It's an interesting psalm. It tells us that he knows our heart, which in Scripture is the very center of our being. Jesus said it's the place we store all our experiences, all our feelings, all our thoughts. He knows what it's about. The psalm also says he knows our body. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When you look in the mirror next time, instead of saying, oh dear, <laughs> then how about I am fearfully and wonderfully made? Never mind, he knit me together in my mother's womb and dropped a couple of stitches, but I am fearfully and wonderfully made because our Heavenly Father knows us fully. He also knows our words. You discern my going out. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Uh, and as um, we go through the psalm, we get to that nasty bit where it says, uh, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. And there's a, a real sense there that in the New Covenant, as we look at the very physical battles of the Old Covenant, then God speaks to us of the uh, sometimes physical battles, but often the spiritual battles of the New Covenant. And so when uh, David talks about slaying the wicked away from me, do I not hate those who hate you, etc., etc., then what is it in our lives that's actually hindering our walk with God? Because there are lots of things he says to us. He says, be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Do we manage kindness, compassionate, and forgiving, especially as we stand in the supermarket queue, and it's always the same way that it's not until... It's amazing, you know, in the supermarket queue, because you know you're going to have to pay, but it's not until the last item has gone through the checkout, and somebody says that'll be £37, 14 and sixpence halfpenny. you can tell how old I am, <laughs> that somebody gets their purse or wallet out. And you think you could save 20 minutes now. The, um, letting the moth out, you could have got that out. Of Supermarket queues are wonderful. Have you come across trolley rage? <laughs> For those of us who drive, uh, one of the great things about Christians is that as you drive and as somebody cuts you up on a motorway, you're able to just make the sign of the cross and say, Lord bless them as they go by. <laughs> So you see what I mean, the sorts of things that are in us. And right at the beginning of the psalm, it says, you have examined my heart. And right at the end of the psalm, David says, examine it again. Same word. Search me. Test me. Is there anxiety? Are there thoughts in there that are not good? And so the question, if God knows us that much, the question I've been given is, does God heal today? And uh, it seems as though Heather preset the discussion I'm about to have and made a decision that he does, which is quite encouraging, really. But does he heal today? Because, you see, I'm not convinced everybody actually believes it. I believe that Christians believe that he heals, but I'm not too sure they believe that he heals them. Do you know what I mean? He's very good at healing other people, but actually for me, he's not that good. We all seem to have Bibles that say, for God so loved the world, 
bracket except for put your name in there, close brackets, that he sent. It's almost as though we are missed out from the kingdom in certain areas. And yet when God says, for he loved the world, he means everybody who's in it, which means me, you, and everybody else, and particularly as we become the family of believers. Does God heal today? Let me take you to a passage of Scripture. Ah, you haven't got my font. There we are. Never mind. You'll recognize it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. just want to pull out certain things there. The first one is all authority. It's just at the top of the screen. You can just catch half of it. Go and make disciples. Don't have a problem with that. I'm sure you are very effective in mission. Baptizing them. I'm an Anglican. We won't go there. (laughs) And teaching them to obey everything. Teaching them. We don't have a, a problem with teaching them. And I am with you to the very end of the age. I want to hang on to that text and those instructions because I think they have something very powerful to say to us. So let's have a look at the ministry of Jesus a wee bit and look into the new covenant. First of all, Jesus came to show us the signs of the kingdom. And he was ultimately, in embryo, if you like to put it like that, the kingdom wandering about in his ministry on earth. He used to go up to people and say, the kingdom of God is near you. He could have said, about eight inches. Because he was the one that was actually going to open up the kingdom. There was no heaven as such until he had died and risen again. And then he took all the saints of the old covenant with him. But at that stage, he was the kingdom. Because darkness still covered the earth. And so Jesus comes along to give us signs of the kingdom. And there were all sorts of signs that he came to bring us from calming the storm to healing the sick, sorting out mothers-in-law when they've got a fever, Um, teaching, pointing out the legalism and problems of the established religious community, which has to speak to us as Christians. And so a whole range of signs. But one of the key things he showed us was the whole healing area. Jesus would stroll up to people and heal them. Or he would wait for them to come to him and he would heal them. He did all sorts of things. He spat on their eyes. He stuck his fingers in their ears. He uttered, those probably are covered by health and safety regulations these days. I just mentioned that in passing before you get carried away. Uh, He commanded healing. He commanded demons to leave. He said to little girls, get up. And they got up from death. And there's a whole range. But it wasn't just in the new covenant that we see God healing. Because we go back to the prophets and we see them healing as well. And so uh, we see children healed there. We see people healed. We see water healed. We see land healed. God seems, from the evidence of this, to be in the healing business. How does he teach healing? Well, he's a very good teacher in lots of ways. First of all, he does it. He goes around and he heals people with the disciples watching. It must have been incredibly confusing for those early disciples, the very first batch that you get recorded in John's Gospel. 
Because the first thing he does is turn water into wine, which I think is jolly good, personally. Uh, and I would imagine they were fairly amazed as well because it was the washing water. And they had rather a lot of it, never mind six bottles. They had six stone jars that stood about that high. There was a fair bit because weddings, they knew what to do with weddings in those days. And they had a good long seven days celebration about them. But Jesus showed them healing. And they got very stressed when it didn't work for them. Do you remember Mount of Transfiguration? He comes down and he discovers a right old racket going on because this father had brought his son to the disciples and said, can you deliver my son? And they tried. They tried. You can imagine them sort of straining to heal and using all sorts of words and instructions and everything else. And it takes Jesus to actually arrive and say, now this is the way you do it and deals with it. And you can imagine them scratching their head. How did you do that? In fact, that was the question they asked. How did you do that? And he talked about prayer and fasting. He talked about communication with the Father, discipline and such like. He talked about a life that was committed to him. And then he sent the disciples to do it. Mark chapter 6, if you've got a Bible. This will thrill you, depending on how brave you feel. Mark chapter 6 says this. Then Jesus went round teaching from village to village, that's verse six and a half, and then into seven, calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. You, I don't know what, uh, what it's like. I would imagine the disciples thoroughly enjoy walking with Jesus, seeing all these wonderful things he did, and then he said, hey guys, let's come together a minute. And they came all expectant. What's, what, what are we going to learn that's new now? And he said, right. You two, you two, you two, you two, and you two. Off you go. You do it now. Now, you probably come across this in the evangelistic or mission group. And as long as you talk about it, there is calm and peace. But the moment people are told to go and do it, there is stress and trauma. Because reading about it, thinking about it, praying about it are all nice, safe experiences. Doing it can be a little bit more stressful. Fortunately, most of us are called to be witnesses, not evangelists, so that relieves us of a horrendous responsibility. But we're called to witness to the Saviour Jesus. And he says to these twelve, go on then, go and do it. And so Mark records that they went out and they preached to the people that they should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And I would imagine, well, in fact, it's Luke that records, isn't it, that they came back really excited. Even demons left in our name. And you can imagine them coming back really, it works. It works. And them getting very excited, which is more than you are at the moment. It works. And they came back, demons flew out, and Jesus had to calm them and say, never mind that it works, just remember who you are. Your name is written in heaven. It's far more important than the fact you discover it works. 
and he had to bring a little bit of calm and peace to their situation. I quite like, when I was in the church, I don't know about you, but when I was in the church, I would have quite liked to get my folk to the place where they were excited. You know, I wouldn't mind having to calm them down, but it was actually getting to the place where they were excited, or even getting them out to do it. But there we are, we won't go there. It's a long time ago. And so he sends them out, and he reminds them that ultimately all authority is his. So they're not going out in their own authority. They're not doing their own thing. Healing is not just for those who like that sort of thing. When the Han Hill Center was first set up back in 1986, there were a lot of local people who got very stressed about it uh, because it wasn't the sort of thing that nice church people did. And so there was a lot of aggravation. In fact, when I first joined the centre, I've been there 12 years now, we've been there 12 years now, and when we first joined, I was invited by by one of the local bishops, uh, who's a very good friend of the centre, to come to a a sort of evening drinkies party, which is what we do. Um, And so there's a whole load of clergy there, and I turned up, put the collar on for a change and turned up and wandered around, met a few people. And whereas uh, there are certain, certain things in conversation, if men meet, they want to know what each other do for a living to, to discover whether they're worth talking to or something. It's very, you know, very generalisation, but, but we do. it's one of the things we ask. You know, what do you do? Oh, yeah, right. Uh, well, clergy in the Church of England ask, what is your parish like? You know, is it rich and expensive and big, or is it just pathetic and small and you're not worth talking to? Um, but but that's, that's the sort of questions we ask one another. So people come, came up to me and, and stand up saying, you know, where's your parish? And I say, I haven't got a parish. Oh, right, you know, then they're obviously thinking, mm. uh, and, and they say, well, I'm at the Harn Hill Centre of Christian Healing. And, and one or two would say, oh, that's really good, you know, what's it like, what do you do, and so forth. And there was this glorious occasion when this guy came up to me, shook me by the hand, introduced himself, and said, what, where's your parish? And, and I said, I haven't got a parish. Oh, right, he said, oh, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm the warden of the Harn Hill Centre of Christian Healing. And he stood and he looked me up and down. He just walked away. <laughs> but that's where we were a few years ago. You know, that wasn't the sort of thing that nice Christians did. Fortunately, the Spirit of God is at work, and it's the sort of things that effective Christians do. Uh, and there, they might not be nice, but they could be effective. And so God is at work and powerfully at work through his spirit. So we work not in our own authority. We're not carrying our own stuff. We're not doing our own thing. It is actually an effective part of mission. We, we tend to break mission up into evangelism and social works and all this sort of thing, uh, which is a nonsense, really. Mission is mission. It's taking the good news, however you do it, and healing is part of that. Uh, even the bishops came out back in 2000, 2001 with, a, with the report of Time to Heal that said every church should have a healing ministry, which is fine, but I would say every church should have it as part of their mission. It is part of what you do as a Christian. I, I knew a guy when I was at Theological College called Dave White. He was uh, up in York for a time, and he was a great Liverpudlian. And he used to regale us with stories, and he said uh, he used to do the knocking on doors in Liverpool estates. And in estates in Liverpool, even, what, 25 years ago, they didn't open doors. So you knock on the door and people would say, they usually had two-word response and one word was off. But um, the day would not be beaten. And so he would, he would open the letterbox and say, is there, I'm from the church, is there anybody sick in there? And somebody might say, you know, Auntie Gladys has got whatever. 
And he'd say, right, and he'd pray through the letterbox. And then he'd go away. And he said it was amazing. He said it wasn't a flood or, or a revival, but he said you found a trickle of people who turned up at church a week or so later saying, somebody prayed through our letterbox and Auntie Gladys got better. And he saw that very much a part of the mission of the church. And it was the healing as Jesus healed and people starting asking questions. So he found exactly the same thing happening. And God is incredibly effective and powerful when you pray for unbelievers as part of an evangelistic journey. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he gave it to the twelve. And he said, right guys, you go out and do the job. And these are the words he used. Drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Drive out demons. Power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, so Luke tells us. And so there are very specific statements there. Deal with the enemy and heal diseases. What he doesn't say is pray for the sick. Which we do, and rightly so, and that's fine. But actually the command is heal the sick, which I find very uncomfortable because there are lots of people I pray for who don't seem to get better. But that doesn't change the command. The command is to heal the sick. And maybe that's about time. One of the great things about Wimber was that he encourages us to spend time with people, working with them, with their feelings, their experiences, and what's happening while the prayer is going on so that there can be a working together towards somebody's healing. But he sends out the 12 and he says, that's what you need to do. And then... He finds 70 or 72, whichever manuscript you look at, it's a lot more people. And he says exactly the same thing. Heal the sick. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Heal the sick. Get out there, and whatever you think is going to be thrown against you, don't worry about it, because I've got it sorted out. It's like the, uh, the story of the snakes. Do you remember in Numbers where uh, Israel's on the journey, they get stroppy and they start complaining about Moses, complaining about God, and, and God sends evil sna uh, snakes among them, poisonous snakes. And then they cry out in repentance and instead of taking the snakes away, he gets Moses to create the, the snake on a pole so that they can look up to the pole and they're safe. And it's exactly the same. He says to us, don't worry about what you're going to meet. Just, I'll deal with that. You just get on and do what you're told. And so there is this command to the 70. And so he gives instructions to all disciples because, you see, there's that Matthew passage that I read at the beginning, teaching you, and I just gave you teaching, but it says, teaching you to obey everything I have commanded you. So he's now talking to the disciples. And he's saying... Everything that I have taught you, guys, you pass on to the next generation. And that, I believe, is true apostolic succession. In the Anglican Church, apostolic succession is bishops keep laying hands on each other down the generations, which is fine. But true apostolic succession is the true passing 
of truths that Jesus has taught, commands that he's given from the apostles down the generations. And if you read your church history, you will find that healing never, ever stopped. It got stultified in certain places. It's never stopped. God has always had that remnant of people. And if you read the church fathers, you find there too that many of them, quite amazingly, sort of prayed for people and found that uh, tumours vanished and uh, uh, bones were reset and so forth, and they discovered Jesus healed still. They'll place their hands on sick people and they'll get well. Those who believe in me, John said, will do even greater things. And so this Jesus says, teach And if he's saying teach, it means that we who are this generation of Christians should have been taught by the previous generation to get on with the job and how to do it. Which is a bit of a problem because that means it comes down to me and it comes down to you to make sure that we're carrying out the full mission of the gospel in the environment in which we have been placed. It's a bit hairy really, isn't it? Because you can't blame it on the healing team or the pastorate, which is what they do with our lot. Uh, You know, the vicar does everything. uh, And you can pass it on to him, and so he should be out healing everybody. But that isn't the way the gospel works. Every Christian, wherever they're placed, whatever their abilities, whatever their age and skills, is ultimately called to be the ambassador for the kingdom of God in their particular family, in their particular grouping, environment, or whatever. Wisdom is used as to how we are that way, and we make sure we communicate with the Father as Jesus did to make sure that we're doing the right things at the right time because we don't necessarily pray for everybody. Jesus walked past many sick people. It's interesting that there is in Acts 3 where where Peter and John pray for the guy at the beautiful gate. He'd been there for years. Jesus must have walked past him hundreds of times. Peter and John must have passed him quite a few times until that moment when Father says, hey, what about him? And so we've got to be with our Father. What is Dad wanting? What are the signs of the kingdom? Well, do you remember John had a bit of a wobbly when he was in prison and sent messengers to Jesus and said, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus gave him no answer. He just said uh, to the messengers, go and tell them what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Signs of the kingdom. So, that means, oops. Some will be old enough to recognize the picture. Some of us won't. And if you don't, ask your grandfather later. The kingdom requires each of us to be involved. And it requires each of us to be involved in two ways. One, to be effective in exercising ministry. But secondly, to submit ourselves to the healing of Jesus for ourselves. One of the key expectations of our ministry team at the Harnhill Centre is that they submit themselves on a regular basis to ministry. And so all of us on the prayer ministry team, which is the sort of deeper healing time that we, we spend with people, we give them three hours prayer ministry, 
Each member has to have at least one of their own three-hour prayer ministry appointments every year, more if necessary. Last time I went, the person who gave me my prayer ministry appointment told me to come back for two more appointments. But we're called to submit ourselves to the healing of Jesus, not because, you see, unless we're willing to submit ourselves, we're not going to know the moving of God in our own lives to be able to trust and encourage others for the healing of God in their lives as well. So what do we mean when we say healing? Well, I've put up a whole range of those. Some will probably disappear off the screen. Yeah, Zacchaeus disappears up a tree again. Um, the paralytic, the story of the paralytic, those, uh, that guy that was lowered was, uh, is the story of a man who's not just has his body healed, but he has his sins healed as well. So there is inner healing going on for this man. The adulterous woman, sinful behavior patterns, uh, we, we get very stroppy about sin, don't we, as Christians? Um, where's the compassion that has to ask that woman, which I'm sure was in Jesus's heart, why do you do this? You know it's wrong. Why do you do it? Why do you need a man to have his arms around you in adulterous love? Why do you need to do that? And there are some who need to feel some inner yearning satisfied by having the arms of someone around them. The woman at the well. Go and call your husband. Oh, what a question. <laughs> and all she said was, I haven't got a husband. And Jesus blew her mind. He said, no, you've had five, and the one you've got now isn't your husband. What's going on in your life? What is the healing you actually need? Not your sin that needs to be dealt with, although it needs to be dealt with, but actually, what is underlying the sin in your life? Why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep running away from men and finding new ones? Why do you keep being frightened of total commitment? What is it that the men are not doing for you that you expect them to do? The woman with the issue of blood, well, she had a disease. She had the courage to come out into society and get it sorted. The woman bound for 18 years, psychosomatic disorder. Uh, Jesus said, Satan has bound you for 18 long years. Do you know we get bound by all sorts of things? We get bound by what people say to us. We men are bound by statements like, be a big boy, men don't cry. Absolute rubbish. Men need to cry. They need their hearts to be loosed to be set free. We men of all people need to discover what relationships are about and what Jesus does to set us free from the false masculine into the true masculine. And for some women, they need to be set free from the false feminine into the true feminine. There's a teaching day on that sometime. That'll keep you out of mischief for a bit, won't it? But to be set free to be the real person I am, dealing with the pain in my life and dealing with the suffering in my life. The deaf and mute man, a demonization. Jesus dealing with it. The leper, physical and social, frightened of, uh, or, or cut off from relationships, and Jesus drawing him back in by his healing. And Zacchaeus had a changed life. Healing goes much deeper than getting your physical problems sorted out. 70% of our physical illnesses are psychosomatic. They are caused by things going on inside. Jesus heals 
inside? Are we willing to submit to him the things that we find difficult, the pain that sits in our lives, the fears that we have about dealing with evangelism, worship, moving out into new areas where we're not kind to people and we're instead we're angry and bitter, where we're not trusting him and instead we're fearful and afraid, where we like the status quo and we get stroppy when somebody says, why don't we move the pews? Um, all these things that start rising up in our hearts and we start to, to rebel. The things that happened in the past, the abuse, the, uh, the being put down, the being crushed. I wanted to be a singer or a painter and my dad says, oh, don't be so stupid, get a proper job. All those statements that Jesus says, I want to set you free from those. I must come to an end. I love that picture of Jesus. I've put it up a number of times. And I love it because I think we in our sinfulness hear his words wrongly. When he says things like, oh, you of little faith. You see, when we say it, we say, oh, you of little faith. It's a condemnatory statement. It's a statement of put down. But I think when he says it, he roars with laughter at our attempts to walk the way he does. He roars with laughter because we get so intense about things. We're so frightened of being real, so frightened of being natural, so frightened of being ourselves, and we sort of put on this Christian front. And he roars with laughter at our attempts to be acceptable and all the rest of it. And it, when he says, you have little faith, he laughs his socks off because he says, it's wonderful to watch you trying, but you have so little faith yet. But come on, guys, there's a life to live. And I think that's what he says because that's what he came to bring. Abundance, life. Do it because I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you.